Welcome to High Heels in Politics with Mary Ann Christie. This is the podcast where current and future leaders discuss the issues facing us in Southwest Ohio and beyond. Here is Mary Ann Christie. Hello, this is High Heels in Politics, and today we are here with a very impressive guest to tell us the history, the structure, and the format of the Ohio Supreme Court. The Ohio Supreme Court is the highest court in Ohio with final interpretation of Ohio laws and the Ohio Constitution. There are seven justices on the court. One is the chief justice and six associate justices. These are elected to six-year terms on a nonpartisan ballot. To be elected or appointed to the Supreme Court, one must have at least six years of practice with law. There can be an appointment made by the governor for vacancies that occur between elections. Our special guest today is the Honorable Justice Judy French, who has had an extensive and distinguished history serving as a deputy director at the Ohio EPA She was chief counsel to the Ohio Attorney General, Betty Montgomery, and held the position again of chief counsel to the governor, Bob Taft. Governor Taft then appointed French to a seat on the 10th District Court of Appeals. During her tenure on the 10th District Court of Appeals, she authored more than 800 legal opinions. Governor John Kasich appointed her to the Supreme Court in 2013. She has played a major role in her work as a member of the Constitutional Commission, which has also served on the Ohio State University College of Law National Committee. As a community leader, Justice French has served as a tutor, a mentor, and as a board member in Columbus Area Charitable Programs. Welcome Justice French. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I, like so many listeners, do not understand the structure of the Ohio court system and its relationship to other courts. Do please explain. Absolutely. In Ohio, we have three tiers in our court system. We have a trial court level, a court of appeals level, and the Supreme Court of Ohio. And at that trial court level, that's where you have a single judge who controls the proceedings, the judge duties of the judicial world. And let's say you are involved in a lawsuit at that trial court level, and you're unhappy with the result that you get. In the state of Ohio, you have the right to take an appeal. We have 12 courts of appeals, and you have the right to take an appeal and have your case reviewed by three judges. And if you get two of them to agree with you, you could have that decision that you're disappointed about changed, modified, maybe even reversed. But let's say you're still unhappy at the Court of Appeals with the result that you get. You don't necessarily have the right to come to the Supreme Court of Ohio. So for the most part, we get to decide what we want to decide. So we're looking to take in those kinds of questions that would apply to a lot of people around Ohio that judges all over the state would be interested in. And those are the kinds of cases that we would take in. Can you elaborate a little more on what type of cases you generally, the court hears? Definitely, because that's really one of the most important things that we do. We get maybe 1,500 or so of those. They're really applications. It's what we call the memorandum in support of jurisdiction. 
but it's an opportunity for a lawyer or a particular person to say, here's why I think my case should be heard by the Supreme Court of Ohio. The Constitution says we'll take in questions of great general or public interest. So we're looking for things that would matter to a lot of people. So if it's a question relating to a single car accident between you and another person, that's not the kind of question that we're typically going to take in. But let's say you get stopped on your way home by the highway patrol, and the highway patrol maybe searches your car or a canine unit responds to the stop. That is the kind of thing that we might decide to take in because it could apply no matter where you live in the state. I travel a lot. Uh, I travel all around the state. I'm constantly traveling to every all, all 88 counties in the state of Ohio. And one of the reasons that I do that is really to find out what's going on. You know, what is of interest to the people of Ohio? What's important here? You can't go very far and not, not see for yourself that agriculture is very important. Business is very important. So lots of things that would just apply to the people across Ohio, those are the kinds of issues that we would take in. That's interesting because many of us wonder what type of a case you would take. All right, appeals cases didn't mention anything about contested elections. Mm -hmm. You do take those. And how long, if an election is contested, how long do you take to hear it? Or is it something that's brought immediately to the courts? It's brought immediately. Those really get expedited. We have a, a, a different schedule for those so that they're heard very quickly by the court. They're decided very quickly by the court. We generally don't have oral arguments before us. We don't take the time to schedule them. Our process is all about getting it out just as quickly as possible. We know that ballots have to be prepared. People are campaigning or deciding whether they can campaign. So we really put those as high, our highest priority when they're, as they're proceeding before us. What about the difference of appeal or the difference about appeals from the civil versus criminal cases? Is there any difference between those? There's no difference. Usually, in the usual case, there is no difference between how we would handle a criminal case or a civil case. In some states, those are divided. You know, you might have a court that only hears criminal matters. In Ohio, we don't have that division, and so we hear every kind of case. Now, a death penalty case is different. A death penalty case, of course, starts at a trial court level, but once it's over, it comes directly to the Supreme Court of Ohio. So that one is handled differently. You know, there are a few specialized kinds of cases, things like utilities and taxes and discipline cases. They have the, all have their own process. But for the the general case, the majority of the cases, civil and criminal cases are, are handled in the same way. I'm going to ask you a question that I hadn't thought about. But when a judge in a lower court is question his behavior in his position, does the Supreme Court have jurisdiction or who has the jurisdiction to hear those cases? We do have jurisdiction. Uh, we have jurisdiction to decide complaints about complaints and the discipline process against both judges and lawyers in the state of Ohio. It, that's really one of our main responsibilities. And so if someone has a complaint about a lawyer that has uh, represented them or, they, or the way that they have been treated by a judge, not that they're unhappy with the ruling, but as you said, there was some sort of a misbehavior or some kind of conduct that would have violated the rules that we're all supposed to live by. There's a process at the court that would review that that complaint, see if there's any basis for it. 
We have a board of professional conduct that takes a significant role, significant time in reviewing those kinds of complaints. And then ultimately, it would come to us, uh, the seven of us. So regrettably, we do have a number of those cases that come into us Mm. every year. But and it's a significant part of our, you know, of our responsibilities. What we have to do is really to make sure that the lawyers and judges in the state of Ohio are acting within our ethical bounds. Now, would they have to go through that three-step process of courts, or would they, could they make an appeal as an individual directly to the court about the misbehavior of an attorney or a judge? Well, typically you would, uh, let's say, for example, if you have a complaint against a lawyer or a judge, you file the complaint, you can file it anonymously, and depending on when and how it's filed, it could be heard by our disciplinary counsel at the court, or you might have a local bar committee, bar review committee that would look at it, or excuse me, a bar association committee that would look at it. And then it would go to the board and then it would come up to us. It can be a very detailed process, but I think for good reason. You know, we have to make sure that the public is is uh, safe in terms of how they're dealing with lawyers and, and the judicial system, and that's one way that we do it. Important, too, to remember that's all anonymous. It can be anonymous, too. Okay. I know that would be uh, something that, you know, most people wouldn't want to file a complaint against a judge or a lawyer openly, but it is anonymous. The other thing that happens for most of the, for myself, and I think for a lot of my listeners, the seven members of the Supreme Court decisions many times aren't unanimous. Somebody has to decide who publishes the majority report, who publishes the minority report, and then does that the differences of opinion create dissension amongst the Supreme Court justices? Well, I can answer the first, the, the last question first and say that, you know, that's just part of the job. Part of the job is just saying what we think about the law. And of course, the seven of us are independently elected. We have our own independent views, and often we are going to disagree, but we do so professionally. We are cordial about it. And uh, afterwards, we might all go to dinner together. You know, you, you have to maintain those professional, resp- those resp- those professional relationships. In terms of how it's done, you know, when you think of those trial court judges, those Judge Judies, they typically speak their opinions. They do some writing, but they typically speak the verdict or they speak a ruling on, on an evidentiary matter. And appellate judges don't do that. Appellate judges speak in writing. And so when you think about those written opinions, you're really talking about who's going to be the voice of that particular issue. And remember, we get to decide what we want to decide and at least for the most part, and at least four of us have decided this is an important question. So when you think about how how are we going to choose an author for that opinion, that's an important question. Who will be the voice of the majority? Well, in Ohio, well, let me say first that at the United States Supreme Court, it's the chief justice that gets to decide that. If he's in the majority, he gets to decide who will be the author of the majority opinion. And if he's not, then it's the senior member of the majority who gets to decide that. A very, very significant power. In Ohio, we decide by marbles. Uh, we have seven marbles with numbers on them. I'm told they're, they're the little uh, peas from pea pool, the little red and white marbles. Uh, mine happens to be number one. It's the only time I get to be number one. But if I have voted with the majority, then my marble goes in a little bottle. It's a little leather bottle. 
one of the justices shakes up the bottle and puts one marble in the hand of another justice. And if it is your marble, you write the opinion. You know, that's it's totally low tech, totally random, but I'm really happy about that. You know, it's not because if I'm chosen, it's not because the chief justice wanted me to write an opinion or that I argued the most strenuously or the most effectively at our conference. It's because my marble came out of the bottle. So if any of your listeners hear my name at some point that is associated that I wrote an opinion of some highly controversial matter, it's because my marble came out of the bottle. It's not because I really wanted to do that. And then we keep score. We keep score. So, you know, you can't have a bad day and your marble would come out every time for every case that we have to decide. And so we all have books that we write in and we keep score. So if I'm one up on everybody, then my marble doesn't go in the bottle the next time until everybody's evened up. So it's totally random. And I think it's a great system. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it at all. It's interesting how we can revert to very simple ways of making decisions. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, and I can add something else, too, about our conference that I think most people don't know. At the Supreme Court, everybody's in order. We are always in order by order of seniority. And so when I arrived at the court after my appointment in 2013, I was number six because I was one day ahead of the guy who was number seven. And when we're seated on the bench, we're seated in order of seniority. The closer you are to the chief justice in the center, the more seniority you have. And we sit that way at conference, too. And so the chief justice sits at the head of the table, and the other justices sit in order of seniority around her. And not only do we sit in order of seniority, we speak in order of seniority. And the first time that we talk about each of the cases, you speak without interruption, And so the chief justice gets to say whatever she wants to say about the first case, and you're not to interrupt her. And when that's done, then it would go to Justice Kennedy next, who's now the most senior associate justice. She gets to say whatever she wants to say, and then it's my turn. I'm number three now. I've moved up in the world. I'm number three. You know, when I was number six, that was, a, that was pretty good. That was a good system because I got to hear what the five other justices said before I said anything. But it also meant I got to speak as long as I wanted to speak without interruption, the same as the Chief Justice did. So when that's done, when we've all seven spoken, then um, there's kind of a free-for-all. Whenever I, I, well, I speak a lot to classes, to uh, high school and middle schoolers, and they can usually point out to me who really likes to argue. And I point out to them that some of those people become judges or justices. And uh, so we kind of have a free-for-all discussion. And when that's done, then we vote, and we vote in reverse order. So if you're the junior justice, you have to submit your vote first and on up until the chief justice. And that's how we get a majority or a minority among the seven of us. And as you said, you know, there is, you, there is a, a majority opinion, and then the minority opinion is what we call a dissent. And nobody's chosen as the author for a dissent. But as a justice, if I'm not chosen as the author, I can write whatever I want. I could write what we would call a concurring opinion where I agree with it, but I want to say something different. Or I can write a dissenting opinion. As lawyers, we could do both concurring and dissenting in one opinion. So it's really once you have that majority opinion written by the person who's been chosen, There's an awful lot of informal communication that happens among the justices to find out who's writing what opinion, or maybe you'd like to see a change to the majority opinion. But there's a lot of informal communication among the chambers uh, of the justices. 
That has been so informative. I can't imagine. I had no idea, and yet I, Mary Ann Christie, have been involved in politics for a long time and have talked to many of the justices and never realized the process mm -hmm. that happens in that courtroom. Yeah. I'm going to switch now to talk to you about the cases. You had the unusual opportunity as a young uh, attorney or chief mm -hmm. counsel to speak and to make presentations before the U.S. Supreme Court. So tell us what those cases were and how that affected you, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I'd be happy to. And, and really the first thing to note is that I had those opportunities because Attorney General Betty Montgomery gave me those opportunities and decided that I was the counsel who should make those presentations. She was a real champion for me, and I, and I, and I don't forget that. The first case that I argued was a case called American Trucking Association versus Whitman. It was an environmental case. I started out my career as an environmental lawyer, so this was kind of going back uh, to those environmental roots. And I represented the states of Ohio, Michigan, and West Virginia. And we were challenging the authority of the United States Environmental Protection Agency with respect to what, how they could change air quality rules. The second case that I argued was called um, Zelman, and that's a case relating to school vouchers vouchers that were given to students in the Cleveland School District that their parents could use to send them to something other than a public school. And the challenge came about because a lot of those parents chose religious schools. And so the challenge was that that violated the constitutional, what we call the Establishment Clause, that the government cannot establish religion. And so parents uh, or, or uh, some of the school districts suggested that that money shouldn't be going to the religious schools. It was challenged on constitutional grounds, so we took it up to the United States Supreme Court, won that case in a 5-4 decision that I, I like to think uh, really helped, established education, helped establish educational equality, at least in the city of Cleveland and across the country as well. School vouchers, there was the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, yes. and you played the major role. Well, I got, to, I got to be the speaker, that's for sure. We had so much help and, and uh, special counsel that helped us, and the Attorney General's office is just full of terrific lawyers. But it, it was an amazing opportunity. I mean, at that time, I was a single mother of a child in elementary school, in a public school. My mom was a, uh, was a school teacher, and so I really felt at that moment that I was preparing to speak, and it really was just that moment when I was getting ready to speak and waiting for Chief Justice Rehnquist to call on me that I was the right person for the job. You know, there I was, a, a young woman, a young single mother from Ohio who had gone to public schools all my life and believed strongly in education, and it was an amazing opportunity. U.S. Justice John Roberts, he appointed you to serve on the Federal Appellate Rules Committee. What is the function <laughs> of that committee? You know, when you get a call from Chief Justice Roberts' office, you just say yes. I mean, you just say, yeah, I'd love to do that. The Federal Appellate Rules Committee is one of several rules-related committees for the federal courts. And it's a committee that reviews and proposes and updates rules that apply to federal appeals. So the odd thing is that they have a state Supreme Court justice on that committee, 
But they have that for each of their committees. Each of their committees has one state Supreme Court justice. And I think it's really an opportunity to share information, to share experiences, and to have kind of that outside look and that outside voice as to what's happening in the federal courts. It's been a a really uh, amazing experience. When I started, Neil Gorsuch was our chairman. And uh, Brett Kavanaugh also joined the committee. So they're no longer on the committee. They're a little busy doing other things now. But it's an, it has been an amazing experience. I'm very grateful. You really had a fantastic history in <laughs> your career yeah. as a lawmaker. Well, not a lawmaker, yeah. as a lawyer. I mean, I'd like to think so. I mean, I've had a lot of really fun jobs. I mean, I really have. To have been in private practice and a corporation working for Ohio EPA, the attorney general, the governor's office, and to be a judge. I really um, was open to change in my career and looked for and appreciated opportunities that would present good work that was challenging and interesting. And, and I've gotten that in every job that I've ever had. That's amazing. I do have to say, Betty Montgomery was the first woman to serve as an attorney general here mm-hmm. in the state of Ohio. Yeah. You and she made a great team together. <laughs> well, Justice French, uh, let me just bring up our listeners to let them know that you were born not in some great city, but in a little village called Sebring, Ohio, with about 4,000 people in northeast part of the state. You graduated from Sebring High School. You completed your studies at Ohio State. JD honors also from Ohio State. You recently, because of all your work, and now I can understand why, you were awarded by the Ohio State, the distinguished jurors, for your work on the bench. And your mother was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And Today, Justice French is uh, married, and she's the parents of two adult children, love going and speaking at school rooms. You know, you've spent your adult life as a public servant, and yet you also were a mother. How did you balance those? And you mentioned earlier that you were a single mother. Tell us how you did that. It was not an easy task. You know, at times it was not an easy task, but I think I I looked at those challenges in a very practical way, and I had understanding people around me. So imagine being a young lawyer in a meeting with the attorney general and looking at the clock and seeing that it was 5.30, and it was time for me to go pick up my daughter from daycare. And for any of the listeners who who, uh, have those kinds of schedules, you got to pick them up by 6 o'clock. The attorney general was very gracious when she saw me looking at the clock saying, do you need to go? And I would jump on a call later and catch up with the meeting. So I have just been very, very fortunate in my life to have people that helped me make those accommodations. But the reality is that I think every professional, whether you're a man or woman, a parent or not, you know, you always have to look for balance. And for me, it starts first with acknowledging that balance is important. My marriage is important. My children are important to me. My friends, my family are important. And always constantly working at at maintaining balance. During a campaign, you inevitably get out of balance. There's There's no getting around that. But, you know, for me, I have to eat. 
I have to eat. I, I, I have to eat good food. I I, uh, I can't live out of a out of a fast food lane. I have to sleep. I have to exercise. And if I don't do those things, then I don't feel well and I don't perform well. And so I really have had, as I've gotten older, I've had to acknowledge those are important. Those are really important things. Over the next six weeks, my son will be graduating from college, and at the end of next month, my daughter is getting married. Those events are important milestones, and I'm going to take time away from being a justice and being a candidate, and I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to enjoy my husband and my kids, and I wouldn't trade that for anything else. So I think you take advantages of those wonderful life moments when you can. And when life gets out of balance a little bit, you put it back into balance. But I, I just couldn't be more grateful for the experiences that I've had in my life. That's very important for many women to hear because at times they think that they have to sacrifice their family and marriage because they have to be stay at that meeting. But you've pointed out that the other people in a room or your a superior understands that. But you've got to make that decision yourself of saying, this is what I have to do now and, and do it. And I think it's important to say it. You don't have to complain about it, but you, you have to be willing to say, this is what I need to do. This is my schedule today. And I think it's also important for us to support other parents or other employees that have their own uh, their own burdens, their own challenges. And it's important for us, I know, for my, whether it's my office or the other places that I've worked, I think it's important to have camaraderie. And I've been very fortunate to have that. So if it's, if it's my turn to say, you know what, I can stay late. I can take care of this. You go take care of whatever it is you need to go take care of. And another day, it's going to be my turn that needs the assistance. So I feel very fortunate that I've had the kind of colleagues and friends that are willing to, we support one another when we need to. This has been a very, very interesting interview. To my listeners, I want to remind you that many of you know TV Judge Judy. (laughs) I want you to remember Judge Judy because Justice Judy in Ohio is running for her second term on the Ohio Supreme Court. It's her passion, her dedication to serve the people that makes it mandatory that you cast a vote for her. Justice Judy, can you get, uh, tell the listeners how they can contact you to work on your campaign or just to ask a question sure. about the Supreme Court? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, we try to be very accessible and want to be available to voters and to the public. I do a lot of school visits, whether it's a Rotary meeting or Kiwanis or any other kind of civic or- organization. I'm happy to be invited to come speak. Website? is justicejudyfrench.com. Now that's Judy with an I. So it's justicejudyfrench.com. I also have a Facebook page and you'll see lots of updates there. And that also is under the name Justice Judy French, J-U-D-I, French like the language. And my email is also justicejudyfrench at gmail.com. So again, it's justicejudy, J-U-D-I, French, F-R-E-N-C-H at gmail.com. Well, I certainly appreciate you doing this, but I'm going to ask you one last little question. 
What was your either funniest or an experience, a case that you would like to talk about relive? Yeah. Well, it's funny that you asked that. I was just at a school with sixth graders this morning in Columbus, the Columbus Gifted Academy. For the kids, I told them anything involving bugs, you know, if it involves bugs and it's it's uh, maybe a, a claim against a hotel or something like that, everybody's itching for a week. Uh, you can't work on that case or read that opinion without without uh, itching like crazy, and I'm starting to do it right now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Justice French, and for taking the time to be with us and give us so much information about how the Supreme Court works. So again, thank you. Well, I, you're very, very welcome, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Justice French will be running for the Supreme Court in 2020, She gave us a really great understanding of the function and operation of the Supreme Court that I did not have any knowledge of. So as we're closing now, this is your narrator, Marianne Christie. I want to thank my producers, Pam Gross and Ryan Kulik. We at High Heels and Politics would like to hear from you. We want to know if you find the interviews interesting informative, thought-provoking? Are there other community leaders that you would like to hear? If so, contact me, Marianne Christie, at High Heels and Politics. That's High Heels, H-I-G-H-H-E-E-L-S-P-O-L-I-T-C-S at gmail.com. Again, thank you, thank you for your time and your interest. High Heels and Politics with Marianne Christie is produced and engineered by Ion Community. Music by Sharad Sate. Subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcasts.